Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hello, Archons. Welcome to Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I am your host, SC Steele, and I'm joined this week by Blake. Hey, Blake. Hey, what's going on, Sydney? Not much. I'm super excited to be here today to talk about Keyforge Adventures. There's so much going on right now in the land of Keyforge Adventures with the rules being released and everybody getting their hands on the card. So there's so much to talk about today. Oh, yeah, definitely. And we are a uh, Scuzzy Gruenless episode this week. He had some other engagements that took him away from being able to record. And uh, he also didn't get a chance to jam with some Kirakin, but uh, Sydney and I did. So we are going to have a little fun discussion about this. And uh, we will also, um, just so everyone knows, if you have been looking at the Kirakin and you're interested in doing some print and play options other than your own printer, uh, there is an online resource, which is in the show notes that you can uh, basically go and order it for quite a reasonable amount and it will be cut and printed and sent to you from this online resource so that's in the show notes if you have not got your hands on it or would like a more professionally done set yeah i actually printed mine out on normal black and white paper hoping to get it home to play it and my husband just decided to print it out in color on cardstock so he went up to me just nice. to make sure it would be super fun Oh yeah, you got to do it. This is uh, this is something I'm going to spend a lot of time with. It's it's really fun and and it was proposed in a way that it's much different from like standard KeyForge, and I am noticing that. But uh, before we get too deep into it, Sydney, I know you have some news you wanted to share. So I'm actually really excited to announce the uh, next winner of our giveaway, but in honor of the Keyforge Adventures Mars teaser that FFD dropped on their organized play Twitter, our giveaway winner this week is Spencer, or otherwise known as Sig Figure on TCO, for signing off his email with, for the glory of Mars. So, for, <laughs> for the glory of Mars, sir, you are correct. Um, but by the time you hear this on the episode, you will have already been contacted by us, but to give everybody a, a little bit of info, we're giving away the eight starter boxes. I guess there's only six left um, with 12 decks, starter set rules, official cardboard tokens. You know the drill by now. But to uh, get one of these, email hffspodcast at gmail.com about yourself and what you would do with one of these kits, and um, you might receive one. But all in honor of the FFG teaser for future Mars adventures... Yeah, I love that. I think that's so cool, especially with the lack of Mars. Why not bring them back in this way? And if anyone was uh, able to listen to our Maw of Abraxas episode, which had very much a Mars theme to the adventure in that sense, I think it's really cool. And I can just imagine the type of deck we would see. And I'm, I'm hoping this is an actual manufactured deck and not another print and play because... Uh, I imagine the cost of printing versus the cost of buying it already printed is not that far off from one another. And I would just rather uh, be able to get it, crack it and play it than uh, put a little bit of extra work in the printing process. But uh, I'm very excited for it. I can just imagine the Mars theme. And I know uh, our guy Vampire Polite Talk, who is the Mars king and the advocate for bringing back Mars, will just be ecstatic to see that news. I absolutely loved when you guys did that episode, and it would be so cool if they actually had a storyline to the adventure mm -hmm. just like that episode. Yeah, that would be really cool. 
All right, so why don't we jump right on into the episode and uh, kind of our hot takes on the new Key Racken and I guess Keyforge Adventures as a whole. Um, so Sydney and I both got a chance to play a couple games. I played uh, twice solo, and I understand, Sydney, you played uh, once with your husband and then once solo as well. Sure did. Yeah, playing multiplayer actually had quite a different feel than solo. Mm, okay. Did you find it was more challenging multiplayer or easier multiplayer? I actually thought it was more challenging because I'm familiar with some of FFG's other adventure type games like mm -hmm. Arkham Horror or uh, Marvel Adventures and Marvel Champions. Sorry, don't want to don't want to get that wrong. Um, but. <laughs> The way that they do it is they um, usually have the, the enemy or the bad guy go at the end of everybody having taken a round. And so here with the key racken going after each person takes their turn, they really get to build up real fast. So that key racken just gets momentum going early. And if I'm not mistaken, you and your husband, you have a shared battle line when you start playing. It's like you, you put creatures from both of your decks on, on either side. Is that correct? Or are they two separate battle oh, lines? Oh, we played with two separate battle lines, and I think that's the correct way to do it. But I'm not actually okay. sure. But it would make sense that it's the correct to have them separate because the way that the Kuraken has prey sometimes and a lot of the... Right. No, um, yeah. no, it for sure has to be that way. Yeah. But it worked out really well because I ended up having very few creatures near the end because the Q racket just kept hitting the the right cards to to attack me and my creatures. Whereas my my husband just simply had a huge board because he got all of the the draws of like the artifacts or the upgrades or the actions. Mm, yeah, I I had a similar experience. Like I know it's the first time I played. I used a Dark Tidings deck. And it really didn't cut the mustard. I even had like a ritual of life out. For those who don't know, it basically allows you, it's an untamed artifact that allows you to uh, destroy a creature that is on the battlefield and then return a creature from your discard pile to your hand. So I was constantly going for like mooklings and things to like increase <laughs> key cost to buy me time. But it was just, it was really hard to to deal with it because I was, I was shocked at how well the key racken dealt with a board. And then the same thing was repeated in my second play because I actually chose a deck. Uh, I actually chose a deck that had Proclamation uh, 346E in it. So I'd have that permanent uh, extra key cost. And then I also put down another artifact because I know there is some artifact control in that deck. Mm -hmm. And uh, it also had a lot of board removal and some uh, fun combos I'll talk about later on. But I, but with that one, I found it got a really big board, but the key rack and just like the cards came and just were decimating because... Uh, I was blessed and cursed with getting the Kirakin early on with the upgrade called Titanic Maw. And it says, the Kirakin gains skirmish, prey, the most powerful creature. For those that don't know, prey basically means the Kirakin uh, will fight. So all creatures and the Kirakin auto-reap unless they have prey, which means they fight instead of reaping as their auto uh, sort of default action each turn and it had the prey the most powerful creature and fight deal three damage to each neighbor of the creature the kirakin fights and then it had at the end of the kirakin's turn if you control no creatures destroy titanic moss so this was putting in a lot of work but at the same time because it's such a big board it stopped the kirakin from reaping against me so it just created that it was only fighting and not generating ember as quickly which also helped me uh, advance my game faster 
Yeah, that's so cool that you had such a similar experience. I was actually going to say that I was lucky in my second game, the one that I soloed, because the Kiraken got its Reap upgrade and its Skirmish upgrade. And so while the Skirmish upgrade was attached to it, it never reaped. So the that basically rendered the Reap upgrade useless so that it didn't archive its mm -hmm. cards from the top of its deck. So I found the as long as I could keep a board on the table, I was preventing it from reaping which like you said it was something that was extremely beneficial yeah i noticed that that was definitely a big thing in my in my second play the the other thing that i i had this monumental like move that happened that kind of really closed out the game was the deck that i'm playing has a double grogans has a gauntlet mm -hmm. of command was the other artifact and then it also has um ganger chieftain it's actually a drummer not deck which i was interesting to see how that would play against it and then it also had champions challenge so i had this one turn where i put down grogans then i used um the gauntlet of command to fight then i used champions challenge to fight and then i threw down the ganger to finish off the turn to fight nice. again so so um it was just like that's a lot of damage because you get rid of the armor after the first time, which at that point for me was at four. And then I just kept swinging like eight, 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 like eight, four times is, is a, or three times, sorry, is, is a lot of damage on the Kiraken. So I found the Grogan's play with that being able to fight so many times was really cool. Um, one question I had for you, because this was in my first game, I think I, I didn't put emphasis on forging keys as much just having ember to to have control of the tide how did you feel about the whole forging keys thing when you were playing because the creatures like being able to destroy them and do damage and ignoring the armor i think is a really interesting design choice yeah, I actually, the first game that we played when when I played multiplayer, we weren't able to get a board. We just, we picked decks that were, were two random middle of the road decks. We, we were hoping that um, that would be a, a way to, for us to use these decks, but picking two random crappy decks is, is not the way to go against this. But in my mm -hmm. second game, I, I had a deck that was a lot better at Amber Rush. I thought that that would be much more helpful, but I found that that was absolutely useless after I got my three keys. There are such diminishing returns for gaining Amber after you get your three keys because all you're doing mm -hmm. is raising the tide, and even then, he's still gaining Amber. So the key racket is just getting enough eventually to flip his, or to get his ascension after spending six times the number of players and your amber is you're only spending it two at a time so i mm -hmm. don't think i i honestly think this flips the the game of keyforge on its head because a board matters so much more than amber rush yeah totally i agree i um i basically feel like the um whatchamacallit the key racken is it's a good design choice and there's a lot of like things in it that are really annoying like there's the artifact that stuns and exhausts i think it's the eddie mm -hmm. uh, oh my goodness that one just just can wreck your ability to call the same house again and i found in the the first time i played that artifact put in so much work for me like i was just or for me but like when i say for me i mean against me against. so i could not <laughs> go forward like i'd have a board that i wanted to use and I just couldn't do it because that that card was so powerful and so potent in making me stun and exhaust a creature. So it's not only do I not get to use it 
the following turn, but the turn after it is also useless. So I found that was such an interesting thing to stymie my my advancement. I actually, I had such a similar problem with the other artifact, the one that adds three power counters to the most powerful Kirakens creature. And then it only goes away if the most powerful Kirakens creature re reaches nine power. So mm, I just had yeah, I know the, what you're talking about. I had the inability to do damage to the creatures, which meant both that I couldn't get through the creatures to the Kirakin, but I also, killing the creatures does three damage to the Kirakin without armor. So it's a great way to actually do damage to the Kirakin before your keys are forged. But with that, with the power six and power nine creatures I was facing, I, I couldn't do it. It was just, I had to get rid of their artifacts before I could start doing real damage. Mm, yeah it's uh it's it's pretty wild like i feel like uh attackion pulse is is actually very strong against the the key rackin just because of all the upgrades uh that can get on it and you can exhaust it because of that you because because it has so many artifacts that have conditions that sometimes don't get met so they stay out there um i find that such an interesting uh thing that goes goes on in the game yeah, scaling Amber Control really did justice for me. So Effervescent mm. Principle, and I think I had Scrambler Storm, where I could spend as I got rid of all my Amber, and then the Kirakin got rid of three times that amount. So with that, I was able my my Amber. Storm, you mean, I think. Oh, Shatterstorm, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So my the the Amber that I had that was otherwise doing nothing after I had three keys at least was taking him farther and farther from advancing. But I really had Ooh, a hard cool. time otherwise getting him from stopping him from advancing. Yeah, I think with um when you have also the um the multiplayer side of it where the cost is six times the number of players. Yes. Uh, TMTPs and doorsteps are are really key. Which uh, one of my uh, Instagram followers, uh, Novelty Boy Gaming, uh, basically suggested that. And and I'm only playing solo, so it doesn't have as great of effect. But I think also things like interdimensional graft is really strong. Yes. When you're letting it forge for three, because then you can be like, okay, uh, get rid of the extra ember, and then you get a ton of ember to advance and get rid of the armor. So I think there's interesting plays in in that regard with the tide being low and allowing the forge, which is something that I didn't ever consider just because of the nature of when you normally play Keyforge, you're not going to have always that big of a swing, but it just mm -hmm. provides some interesting choices within this Keyforge adventure. What did you think about its archiving mechanic, where if it played something into um, or put something into its archives, it would then add that to its hand the next turn, no matter what? Oh, I love that. I thought that was such a great way to to deal with it and and just make some interesting game plays where they could have like wild turns. Like like you said, you know, there's that card that that's the upgrade that allows the reap archive a card that can get on there, which is really powerful. I had that out in my first game. Oh no. And the, the key Rakin was getting like five card turns almost like every time. It was it was really bad. So I, I find uh, the the archiving aspect of the key Rackin's uh, mechanic gameplay was such a really great way to give it that advantage and really come forward in advance, which is really cool. Yeah, I have I was lucky enough to have Desenia in the second deck that I picked. And so I Ooh. I I found that holding on to to one or two of my specific cards until they were useful, it didn't actually feel as painful as it does in a normal game of Keyforge, where I feel like I'm chaining myself if I'm playing against someone else. But in mm -hmm. in this, where 
I know that their archives will be a certain level and I know exactly what effect my Desenio will have. Holding onto mm -hmm. that card for two turns was actually okay for me. And the same was actually true with my, um, I had some spot removal as well. And I knew that more creatures were coming out because I'd seen what went into the archives. And so holding onto mm -hmm. that until I had creatures to get rid of it, it really made much more sense and, and hurt less. Yeah, I, I can see that. It's, I find it interesting that the deck selection is is different because you do need a creature a higher creature count deck because of how efficient Kirakin is at dealing with your board and I'm not sure I my first deck held that that role like I found I was always kind of on the back foot because if you sometimes are just putting down two creatures you're not going to ever get to use them and you need some pretty wild like heavy damage removal if you're going to take out the key rack and without using creatures to fight into it it definitely brings in the fight based decks as more of a uh, a strategy that needs to be considered i find absolutely i don't think i don't think a deck without a board would actually survive this game mm -mm. you're just it's just a war of attrition that you will be losing constantly right and having a lot of a lot of small creatures on the board actually is useful because of the way that the prey works if it targets the the highest creature or the lowest creature having a variety of power creatures is a fantastic benefit to the person playing them mm, yeah totally i agree i also found uh, an interesting thing that happened was in the deck i played the second time is i had a pip pip which caused oh. the kraken to stun every time it reaped so before it got the fight um, upgrade on when it did reap it was not able to use the following turn which also slowed it down so i was like oh that's another interesting thing you can use against the key rack and to slow it down is have it so it can only reap every other turn basically unless it gets the uh the prey um mechanic added to it that's really cool i hadn't thought about that there are a handful of cards whose powers are completely outsized in this situation since i guess to me, really, it feels like a puzzle, or at least as a solo mm. game where you have all the information in front of you. It feels more like a puzzle than it does an actual, like, Keyforge competitive game against the Kirakin. Yeah, agreed. Um, so one one thought I had as I was playing is I noticed that the idea of cycling my deck quickly, which is something that is more present in normal Keyforge, became less of a, a kind of important to me because I would be, okay... Uh, I have this board. I'd rather reuse this board while it exists because I know the Kirakin will just eventually go into it and take advantage of either reaping at the beginning of the game. Because I think I think it is important to get that first key. Definitely, definitely the second key. I think the third key is the least important of all three of your keys. Like you don't have to put an emphasis on getting that because two armor is fine to to deal with in solo. Um, and even in multiplayer, you can even have one person get three and help, you know. So I just think it's it's interesting that you you stop caring about Ember generation at a point other than to maybe control the tide, which is something I don't think you would ever consider in a standard Keyforge game. Did you actually run across this problem that I had where I was thinking in my head that I would have enough Ember on the next turn to raise the tide, not realizing that because I had more than six Ember, I was forging a key. So then I had to scramble and figure out how I was going to get enough amber on that turn to raise the tide. So forging keys is actually, it's not a detriment because lowering the Kirakin's armor is absolutely important, but it was definitely a consideration in amber management just because mm. the, the currency of amber was so important early game. 
because of the proclamation and I had it out like turn two, <laughs> that like it basically means that no matter what Kirakin is, uh, oh, I wonder if actually a proclamation works against Kirakin. It can't have three houses, so why wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that is true. Because um, it says it must have all three houses. I, I was thinking because it only has one house, does that negate the text? Oh, mm. uh, you know it I mean? sounds like it would work. Yeah, but that because of that, it basically made the the keys cost eight or five at all times. So so I didn't have to worry about uh, that concept as much for me in that one game. But I, I want to start trying to find a balance of challenge versus um, basically winning. And because that that was like an easy win for me. And I may even go to the 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 harder thing where you get to go three cards each turn for the key rack in. Sure. But I want to try and find those decks where, okay, this deck was a little too easy. Having a constant uh, key cost increase the entire game was it was a, an advantage for me that was very much to the detriment of the key rack. And, and I want to try and find that sweet spot of the type of decks that give a challenge as well as uh, make it easier for the key rack. And so there's a good back and forth and it's a battle because this did not feel like a battle. It just felt like time is going to be on my side. It's just a matter of when will I get there. I gotta tell you, my second game, the game that I won, was so incredibly suspenseful. It was the perfect balance of hard to win, but also it did take quite a while because um, it, it ended up actually coming down to the last card that I played off of a wild wormhole. So it was definitely suspenseful, but I not only cycled my deck twice so i was on my third playthrough of my deck but it had also gone for more than an hour so i don't oh, wow. know if i necessarily think that it's the sweet spot of playtime. but the fact that my my wild wormhole hit a twin bolt emissions with not which not only did two damage to the key racken but did two damage to one of its creatures killing the creature doing the last three damage necessary I wasn't able to otherwise kill the key rack and I wouldn't have gotten to 30 damage if it wasn't for that last wild wormhole. So I will say enjoyable, suspenseful, but very long. Mm, yeah, I know it, it can be, but you know what it is? Like if you've played solo LCGs that FFG has, when you're playing solo, it, that does come into play because you don't have anyone helping you. So you're doing all the aspects yourself. Like the early game I find is a lot of setup and you're establishing mm -hmm. something to have a game plan. And if you can get to that point where you're fully, like you get to a good establishment, then you're in a position where now you start taking advantage of the momentum you've built and you can actually start moving forward with the game plan. But you have to be patient. Like if you try and rush too much sometimes, you can actually shoot yourself in the foot, I find, in, in those types of games. Oh, totally. What did you find about the actual like key rack in management, like the drawing of the cards, the archiving, the order in which everything needed to play, that kind of stuff? Of the the like when the key rack in played, like that turn. Yeah. Uh, I found it the first time I played. I kept like you know I I was kind of like looking at the rules a little bit more and trying to make sure I was doing everything right, and I definitely did it wrong um, <laughs> the first time I played, but it, it wasn't like that big of a deal. It was just the sequencing of um, using everything first and then uh, going that way. So I, f I found that the second time I played, it was it was so smooth and so much faster and more efficient than other LCGs. Like some LCGs, the turn of the opponent is quite 
arduous and, and you got to remember all the steps and there's so much to it that it doesn't have the same flow. I felt this was really easy and just flowed really nice. Like it's a really smooth gameplay for the Kirakin and I hope all the other adventure decks have a similar sort of uh, ease of execution from the opponent. I know. I was actually thinking the same thing. The fact that everything goes in a very specific order and nothing interacts in a way that's questionable or, I mean, within the key rack. And I mean, there's obviously going to be random one-off interactions between a Keyforge deck that you bring and the key rack and deck. But the mm -hmm. actual key rack turn is so straightforward that even though it was quite long near the end of some of my games because of the number of artifacts, upgrades, creatures, and rules on the board, it still made sense every time. Yeah, I agree. So that is that is one really nice thing, and I think it makes people uh, be able to get into Keyforge in a new way. And, and I'm hoping this actually attracts those players who are LCG enthusiasts and maybe never thought about playing Keyforge, but this actually now kind of brings an extra a sort of edge to them wanting to to dip their foot into the Keyforge pool now and, and see what's there. Because I, I do think this is such an interesting way to enjoy an LCG that has not existed in Fantasy Flight because of the fact that you're not building a deck, you're having to find the right deck, like that whole thing, which is what makes Keyforge so great, is now present in an LCG form. And I just love that. Yeah. And on top of that, some of their other LCGs like Marvel Champions or Arkham Horror, you don't play those decks against each other. There isn't another aspect of those mm -hmm. decks. They're they're it's not like they're one-sided. I I know for a fact they have a lot of depth to them, but they are facing a singular opponent. They are facing the board whereas here you're actually getting cards with so many different types of interactions that you're actually looking for something that is unique to playing in this way. Right, I totally agree. It's it's so cool. Like I just I just love that because it's like you you know how to play this game a certain way and now it's like what you were thinking isn't going to necessarily work, especially like some of those Coda decks. I, I think they're <laughs> very interesting to see going against the Kirakin. So do you see yourself playing more of this? Oh, 100%. I want to like find the right decks. I, I want to find a Dark Tiding deck that can work against it because... Uh, as much as being having cards that control the tide, I don't think it's it's really that necessary for this. Like I was shocked. I when I first played, I thought, oh, the tide's going to be important to have cards that can control it. But the truth was, it really wasn't that important. I actually was surprised that I read through the rules and and I didn't think I came to the conclusion that you couldn't raise or lower the tide using the three chain mechanic because mm. it didn't say it in the rules. So I, I figured that that wasn't something we could take advantage of because that's one of the reasons that we lost the first game that we played multiplayer because we, we simply, between the two of us, couldn't get to Amber. So we could, or oh. in, this, in that case it was four, so two each, but we couldn't yeah. raise the tide. So the Kirakin just rushed through all of its advancements. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I find that... Uh, that's I guess that's another interesting thing about multiplayer is, is you have to start considering the resource management when you see what's coming and what can possibly happen. And I guess because it's each turn, it can advance like one player after the next. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I, th I actually think, yeah, as a multiplayer version, it's it's got more of a challenge to it. So I'm excited to get to try that, which I, I actually will be tonight. Um, so on... I guess we recorded this on Tuesday. So Tuesday night, myself, uh, Dan from Sanctimonious, and uh, Joe 
aka Zotted X073D from the Ancient Bear Republic. The three of us are getting on a tabletop simulator and uh, playing some Kirakin three player, which is going to be, I think, pretty wild. So, uh, oh, that's so I'm exciting! To see what happens? Yeah, I'm pretty stoked for that because I think three player is going to be wild. Oh, totally! You'll have to tell me how it goes. I definitely will. Yeah. I think that uh, does it for this episode, Sydney. Is there anything else you want to touch on with uh, the new Kirakin? Everyone should try it, even if you have to, yes. to print the cards on black and white printer paper. Yeah, give it a shot. And I mean, uh, it is available on TTS, I think, one way or another. So that's an easy way to play with uh, a group of people in a socially distanced uh, way, if you so desire, or even by yourself, where you can just uh, play around with stuff. But uh, of course, we cannot end an episode without the titular segment. We call this one Help from Future Self. Self. And this week, I happen to have one that is based on my playing of the new set Dark Tidings and specifically playing on TCO because... um, TCO is programmed quite well for it. They, they seem to have got most of the kinks out and it plays quite beautifully and seamlessly. But I, as a player, do not play beautifully and seamlessly, <laughs> I noticed. And a lot of it just is being a new set and having new experiences to learn from. I found that I was making a lot of mistakes when I was playing on stream, like a lot of just like dumb mistakes that was literally like right after I did it I was like oh why did I do that I should have done this or oh I totally forgot about the tide like even though TCO has like a really nice color indicator mm-hmm. when the tide is high or low I still found I was missing it because sometimes you don't notice that your opponent flipped the tide necessarily so I think it's a TCO thing because in real life when someone goes okay I'm gonna raise the tide they're gonna physically like you're gonna know it's happening it's not something you can just over, like you look away for a second and it happened. So um, I just sometimes was not paying full attention because this set definitely has a lot going on with different things happening, different ways that cards are interacting and new ways in which cards are interacting that you might not be used to from playing the previous sets. So it's just something to keep in mind that really take your time, slow down a bit and pay attention and don't beat yourself up when you make a mistake because this is a new set. You're still learning. I think it's important that if you recognize you made a mistake, even if it's right after doing it, it's not really a uh, a big issue because you're like, oh, I should have done this. As long as you recognize the ideal line of play and you can kind of like bookmark that in your head, uh, it's a learning point. And when you learn how to do something better than you did before, uh, there's nothing wrong with making that mistake in the first place. That's great advice because a lot of your opponents are reading the same new cards you are as you're playing them. Yeah, it's true. Have you gotten to play against uh, decks, uh, Dark Tiding decks yes, online? Yes, I have played against some, and I'm, I've been spending the time to read my opponents' cards, which is probably to their chagrin. But I have, in fact, used the Tide to my advantage by taking those change because I knew what cards they put on the board. So reading it's those really cards... Cool. Yeah, yeah there's, there's some kind of like a global effects that that happen from the tide, which mm-hmm. I think is really fun. So it, it, I think that's a cool design choice just because it allows people who aren't playing Dark Tidings to have some fun with the mechanic that is inherent to Dark Tidings, which is totally, really great I completely choice. agree. 
Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, we got to get out of here. Uh, but uh, if you want to hit us up, you can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. And of course, if you want to enter our contest, you just have to email us at HFFSPodcast at gmail.com and tell us what you would do with 12 decks and a basically starter kit of Keyforge. Let us know what creative ways you would want to use 12 decks. And uh, Sydney will go through that and determine... Uh, who gets next week's uh, prize. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Blake, that's B-L-V-D Blake, as well as on my YouTube, which I think is under Boulevard Paper Fight, I believe, B-L-V-D Paper Fight, but there's a link in the bio. And I'm streaming now on YouTube on Thursdays, so uh, please check me out there. And now on Saturdays on Twitch, uh, I'm switching up the day because Tuesday has not been as productive as I thought. So uh, <laughs> switching it up and uh, come join me because it's a lot of fun playing Dark Tidings and uh, getting to chat with all of you. Uh, Sydney, where can folks find you? I am SC Steel on Discord and TCO. Perfect. And folks, uh, we hope that you get to dive in to Dark Tidings and the Key Rackin adventure. Uh, please let us know your thoughts if you have played and you felt that we maybe said some things or missed some things uh, that you agreed or disagreed with. Please let us know on Twitter. And as always, stay fortunate.